0: Hey, everybody. This is David. Thanks for checking out my show today. I'm going to have Pim Van Lomel. Uh, he wrote a book a little while ago, I think about 15 years ago, called Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of Near-Death Experience. Got it right here. I definitely recommend reading this book, I, which you'll hear when I talk to him. Um, it was very. I've had some of these experiences, didn't really label them. I don't know. I still am kind of processing it all but I was having a tough time while I was reading his book to separate some of my personal experiences that I realized I've had uh, with just objectively reading his book. So that's kind of the first time actually I've had that. But, you know, if you're curious about this stuff, or maybe you've had experiences uh, with near death experience, or a fear of life, losing your life, and things like that, there's all these different scenarios where you, you have these experiences, I definitely recommend checking out the book. But I hope you enjoy our conversation. I really did.
1: Would you like to live forever?
0: We are finally starting to understand the human brain. On from artificial intelligence, singularity, I give you the last machine. The David Bramante Show. Hey, Tim. Thanks for joining me.
1: You're Welcome.
0: Uh, Really excited to talk to you. I was, uh, I recently finished your book, Consciousness Beyond Life, this one right here, and um, it's incredibly well written, first off, was the first thing that I noticed, and, um, but also I was starting to personally relate to the book a lot more than I really have on any other books. And I started to have a very uh, strange feeling of I've had maybe some of these experiences okay. and I was not expecting that. I'm reading about a book a week on consciousness and artificial intelligence. So that really caught me off guard in it. The experience with your book, it's uh, kind of a complicated one for me. So anyways, I'm really excited to have you. Thank you. you. know, I know we have a big Titan difference, but before we get started, could you tell me where you located your background a little bit because you got a lot of great credentials and maybe something like a project that you're working on right now
1: yeah well, so i'm Pim my level i'm a cardiologist retired from the netherlands i'm living in arnhem close to arnhem in a small village close to nature close to a natural park where i love to walk or ride and bike um so I started a specialization in 69. Uh, and started to be a cardiologist in 76 in Arnhem. Sometimes it's well-known Arnhem as One Bridge Too Far in 1944. They tried to cross the three rivers to get into Germany, but they did not succeed in Arnhem. Um, the city was destroyed as well. Well, as we know now what's happening in Ukraine as well, mm-hmm. destroyed the city to get it. Yeah. Um, and I started uh, to study uh, near death experiences in 86 after I read a book from George Richie Return from Tomorrow, where he describes a very deep near-death experience where we had as a medical student. He died because of the of pneumonia and he didn't get any antibiotics. So his body was covered with a sheet and the nurse was so upset that his medical student had died that he was able to persuade the doctor to give him an injection with adrenaline, right into his heart which was quite uncommon. And after nine minutes of death, he became conscious of that a very, very deep and very impressive. Death experience. And that was the moment I just started to, for me it was the scientific curiosity. Right. I had learned in medical school that the consciousness is a product of brain function so it should be impossible to have any conscious experience from the period of cardiac arrest what we call a clinical death but that's how it started
0: right yeah and it seems like it's um it's all if, in your book you talk about it a lot where you know there it's these experiences have been labeled visions or and the, basically the near death experience, this is nothing new. It just seems like Western society kind of along the time frame that you started to look at it is starting to look at it more maybe scientifically or try to analyze it a little bit more and integrate it into our understanding. But these experiences have been with us for so long across religions and cultures and time. So now we're just starting
1: to get the language for it. That's so, right, so Raven Moody, uh, wrote a book, Life After Love, where he the first time used the terminology near-death experience, but it has been written down by, by Plato, 2,500 years ago, the classical near-death experience by the soldier of And Plato also wrote, uh, wrote that the body is the, the temporary bearer, uh, carrier of the eternal soul. But also in, the, in Hinduism, the to the Vedas, Tibetan Buddhism, it, it has always been known, indigenous people, they all have known that death is not the end. But our rest of society, the never proven assumption that death is the, the, the consciousness is a product of brain function is still do, now to be discussed again.
0: Right, yeah. Well, when I'm reading a lot of, just recently I've gotten to the place when I'm reading about uh, artificial intelligence or uh, artificial general intelligence, I've come to the conclusion and I'm completely inexperienced, it's only from reading and talking to experts that it seems like um, artificial intelligence can, I don't, I don't know if it, that we can accomplish it, but it does seem that we will be able to tap into the human mind sooner than we can create a human mind from scratch, that we'll be able to tap into some of this stuff so, um, yeah, that's so that's a weird thing. It, what, when I was reading your book, I was wondering, is there a group that's pursuing, trying to induce these near-death experiences? Because people have huge changes. Are there groups actively doing it, trying to get this experience other than some of the psychedelics like DMT?
1: Well, First of all, I don't believe that artificial intelligence, so, a computer will never be able to have subjectivity, to have emotions, to have really consciousness. It's, this is totally different. This is by definition, will not be possible for a computer to having a consciousness as we know it, what, what consciousness is. Yeah. The other thing is um, there are no really studies to in, try to induce near-death experiences. And I don't think it's really necessary. The first thing is that you have to understand the cause and content of the near-death experiences. And that's what we did in our prospective study We did 44 consecutive patients who survived cardiac arrest. Now, there, there are other studies as well, done by Bruce Grayson in the USA and some party pedophilic in the UK, a pediatrician in the UK with a total of 562 survivors of cardiac arrest. And what we found in all those four studies that is kind of enhanced consciousness with the possibility of perception out and above the the lifeless body, with memories from early childhood, with meeting diseased relatives or having flash forward future events, meeting a light of a being of light and experience unconditional love and wisdom as well. Uh, uh, these kind of experiences happen when the brain does not function at all so this uh, when you are, have a cardiac arrest we call it clinical death there's no um, circulation no breathing at all and you lose consciousness with the cardiac arrest within, within seconds and the flow of the blood to the brain is zero within one second and the body reflexes are gone which is a function of the cortex and the brainstem reflexes are gone, the reflex, the chordal reflex, the vital pupil, pupil that don't react to light. Uh, they are gone. And breathing has gone, right? uh, because the breathing center is close to the brainstem. And there have been studies done with EEG registration, which is registration of the electrical activity of the cortex of the, of, of the brain. And it is a flat line within 10 to 30 seconds. So we know that. When you have a cardiac arrest, a successful resuscitation takes at least two to four minutes, never within 20 seconds, someone is successfully resuscitated. So all these 562 patients who survived cardiac arrest must have had a flat must have had a non-filtrum ring. And then between 15 and 20% of those patients reported the classical, the adaptive the classical elements as well. Now that's the problem to solve where you still believe that consciousness is a product of brain function.
0: Right, yeah. So I guess then it just makes me wonder from you, you believe that, I could, a lot of these terms were new to me, you believe in endless consciousness.
1: Well, um, yes. I get, I'm
0: trying to pin down kind of where you are personally. I know that- I
1: This that consciousness has no beginning and it will never end.
0: So we have endless consciousness, and then we have um, consciousness is
1: non-locality. Non-local. Non-local. And non-local is a terminology for quantum physics. And quantum physics is an analogy to understand what people tell us. It's not an explanation for consciousness, it's an analogy. When people have this live review, then, uh, and they're having a cardiac arrest for two or three minutes, they can talk for hours or weeks. What happens with them? They're, we live their whole life from from from, Early childhood, they're connected with people in the past, with the consciousness of people in the past. You can have future events. So, past and future is available at the same moment. When they think to someone, they are there. When they think to some place, they are there at the same moment. So, non local means you're connected beyond time and beyond space mm-hmm. uh, instantaneously. That's the, the concept you know from quantum physics. So it's an entanglement. You're connected beyond time and beyond uh, space with everybody, with every everything in the in the universe. And the same capacity people keep when they are back in the body, what we call the enhanced intuitive sensitivity. They feel connected with other people. They know what other people think and feel. They feel connected with nature, with plant, with the planet Earth. And they know what is happening to other people as well. So they're open. And, and, and so the, the, the death experience is also called an experience of oneness. You're one with everything and one with everybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have you had one of these experiences?
1: I always say not as far as I know. <laughs>
0: do I mean, you
1: do you want one of
0: these experiences before?
1: No, I don't need it. I mean <laughs> i meet thousands of people, and I feel connected to them. I, I, I resonate with them, and they tell me, uh, share their emotional stories with me as well. And but I, you, don't,
0: you don't personally yearn to have one of these ex- near-death experiences before death, right? You do not?
1: No, I think you should be open. And, and uh, Ken Ring, a professor in psychology, who wrote several books about near-death experiences, did a semester of it. Uh, students in psychology three months and the first they had to write down and uh, answer a lot of questions and then they had the peers were reading books and meeting people with and then they had, had write a kind of short chapter about it and then after three months they had the same questions and they all had been changed so many are open and then what you told me as well you, you did change by reading the book or reading the um,
0: yeah your your book, it, more than any other book in a long time, I was having trouble um separating myself and my experiences from the book. Reading your book is um, I really enjoyed the actual just the writing of the book. Did you write it? Did you have somebody help you write it?
1: Nobody. I you wrote did
0: that it. all yourself. okay, well,
1: I, I, I wrote it. I wrote it in nine months So each. Really? Week was in your chapter and then I'd have to correct, etc. Yeah, yeah. The I'm writing is just so focused. smooth. Yes. Yeah.
0: That's, just a, that's just like a technique thing. So I have to, I appreciate that. So thank you for having such phenomenal writing skills. But as I was reading, it, I was starting to get sucked in and then apply some of my own personal experiences that I have had. Like I, I was starting to remember, and I was trying to label and identify some of my experiences. Like when I was around first grade, I had a lot of deja vu experiences or you know, dreams where I, like premonition dreams. And it seems like kids in general are a little bit more, um, they're susceptible to these types of experiences. So I had that. And then I was thinking a little well, bit-
1: What, what like, age did age you have these kind of experiences? So that would have
0: been around um, four five and six.
1: Yeah. So normally, each child until the age of five to six is open. Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: I read that about some of these- Hopefully there's no
1: longer consciousness. And it's talk about because of the education and because of the parents, because of the rest of society, they lose the capacity usually.
0: Yeah, I noticed that age, um, just coincidentally, I, w- I guess it's not coincidentally, that no. with the near near-death life experiences of children, they rarely have a life review no. Um, before six years old, six or younger. They don't have that.
1: And, and usually they don't remember the near-death experiences. There are some, some, I had a patient who remembered exactly the complicated birth that happened to him. He had a sort of umbilical cord. It uh, was blue when he was born. There were three doctors around his mother and he saw it from above. But usually he don't remember anything when you have it at the, under the age of five or six, but they all changed. And especially what I wrote in chapter five is that um, you have an answer to their sensitivity. They're, they're a little bit lonely children are looking to other children who play. They're looking for nature. They're looking for silence. They're looking for classical music. They don't play with other people, uh, other children as well. Yeah. They're mostly usually very intelligent. They can be depressed when they have the age between fifteen to seventy, even suicidal a little bit, because they have an unknown homesickness that they don't understand. Yeah. Uh, so,
0: so, like, I, I'm not, you know, it's, I don't want to make this all about me, but I. See, I that's
1: be... very. It's very interesting. Do you know something about your birth? Was it a complicated birth when you were born?
0: Um. After I was born, I guess I had a breathing problem or something okay. and they okay. separated me from my mom. It was a C-section. And so that's all I know. I don't really know too much about it, but they had to separate me and then I was, I had some breathing issue. I don't know.
1: Well, I, I think I know now.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: thanks. Well, okay, so- Are you, and have you, have an enhanced intuitive sensitivity? Have i had what kind of sensitivity and en- en- enhanced intuitive sensitivity
0: i re- you know honestly i really really did when i was young to the point where in my, my first grade teacher asked me i would there i had i also had issues with like bullies i was always like in bullies like a 1980s you know american movie yeah, there's exactly. always the bully i was always involved in that bully first grade second grade, whatever. But- but in first grade, while something like there was a bullying thing that happened, my teacher knew that I was like, really intuitive. And I oh, would this. guess stuff really easily. And she, um, she said, Oh, what were what were some of the dreams you had last night? She was regularly asking me about my dreams. Wonderful. It's so weird, though. Yeah, so right. then, so I'm, as I'm reading more and more of your book. Um, I started to audit my own experiences, which I didn't really want to do. I'm just trying to be you know, objective and read through the book. But then the next experience I had, which is a little bit later, um, and I don't know the names for all these things, you, you know, I'm trying to place them in the kind of the language that you're identifying for me. Um, I would go to my grandmother's house, and uh, my brother and I would sleep in two separate beds, but in the same room at my grandmother's house in Victorville. So it's like, a, you know, kind of a desolate desert in Southern California. And I would be able to kind of shift the shape of the room. I never have talked about these things before, but I would lay in bed awake and I would see like the corner of like the bed, you know, the a ceiling kind of distort and move around. And I could kind of manipulate it myself. I don't know what that was, or that was a little bit after, you know, this age that I had that. So I don't know what that was. But I as I'm writing, you know, like as I take notes about the books I'm reading, I, on the left-hand side of all the notes about your book and your thing, I'm writing my own experiences and trying to make like a chain of events of like, wait, what was this weird thing that I had? And my interviews, by the way, it's just, so there's that thing that I had. And so I, I was thinking, was that an outer body, outer body experience? No, it wasn't. I was in my body, but I was, it was distorting it. Yeah. Well, awesome.
1: What we experience as our reality around us is based on our own state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, you, 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 it's a subjective reality you experience. I and mean, when you have this kind of enhanced um, intuition, you can even manipulate the reality around you, especially when you are between awake and sleep. That's the period that you're. Yeah, uh, yeah, I saw that Possibly when you talk to about. be More open. Um, but was it emotional for you to read the book?
0: Uh, it became
1: emotional, yeah.
0: Yeah, well. well. I, I, it's like, well, well, uh, I've it's never had experience. very <laughs> weird. Yeah, it was becoming a little heavy, like a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit like, oh, wait, what, you know, like I'm starting to do some self-auditing on some stuff because I had, there's, kind of like three other experiences, if you'll humor me, let me just hit them real quick, is I had a fever when I was really young. We went into water, my brother and I, it was cold at night, it was dusk. We went into the water to like play around at at June Lake and um, we go every year, go fishing. Went in the water, I had a really bad fever that, uh, that night. My brother was okay weirdly, but I got a fever and I heard two male voices. One was like a fat voice, And one was a skinny voice and the way i describe it is how in the book you say smelling red is like i was there's a blending of the um perceptions that you have
1: So,
0: so it was like a feeling of a fat person and a feeling of you know skinny and but like it's just weird it's it's like all blended but they represented two things and they were kind of arguing and they were like far away in the room, but then they were very close. It was a weird thing while I had this fever. And I had that one, uh,
1: I had these people- Do you remember what they told you? Do you remember what they told to each other to you? It was
0: really a dark experience. It wasn't a nice experience. Okay. It was very ominous and scary and I didn't like them.
1: Well,
0: and I had that one other time later, like a couple years later when I had a fever that came back again. So I don't know what that is, you know, so, but then okay. In uh, my late teens, and I you have it and you talk about it in the book also. Um, ketamine. I experimented a little bit with it.
1: But, but ketamine, yeah.
0: Ketamine, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Special K. Yeah.
1: And, and like a, were you a little bit depressed when you were 16, 17 years old? Um, I was a
0: loner, yeah. Uh, yeah. To a level like I really separated myself. Uh, that's why. I which I normally didn't do. I was usually, you know, I was like getting into like little fights or, but I was always kind of jumping from the different groups that I was in. But during the, my late teens, early Mm twenties, I experimented with ketamine and I literally had a lot of these outer body experiences. And I, then I realized, oh my God, did I have a near death experience and I didn't even realize it? Or is it artificial? What it seems like from your book, you're saying it's those are artificial experiences.
1: Well, I, I'm now quite convinced that you had an any at birth. Of, 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 um, so you had this experience of enhanced consciousness with one of the uh, after effects, the enhanced and due sensitivity. That means that when you use ketamine, you get much more experiences than other people because you're already open. And what yes, yeah. thing?
0: Uh, I, had the, I had the tunnel and yes. I had, um, leaving my body multiple times, like a dream within a dream, within a dream. And I was floating above and I had the pinhole and I went to space and it was peaceful and it was death. And it was like, I was connected with everything and nothing mattered, but everything was okay. And it was wonderful. I, and it was a sucking from a part of my brain into this outer thing. And, uh, so i was like, cool. Oh my God,
1: Top of your head, usually.
0: Somewhere there, yeah. I don't remember. Uh,
1: the top of but your head. There was head. this, I, yeah. it was
0: like a, my perception kind of sucked into this thing, and
1: yeah. then
0: I went out into, it was almost like I was dropped, like flushed out into space, and it but, was okay.
1: I, I think so, The, the what Katamine does in you, and it's rather rare that it happens so intense, like you had it, that the connection between the body and consciousness is Disconnected, so you get into this enhanced consciousness, and what you describe is like a classical death experience, but it is an experience of enhanced consciousness. You were beyond the body in the non local reality, and, uh, and I think perhaps it changed even more after that than before this kind of experiences. Yeah, did that
0: you? was that was yeah. weird because it did, you definitely. Uh, rewires when you do any psychedelics I think usually because I've you know experimented with those is when it's a positive experience you take it with you almost for life maybe it kind of fades over time you know but it's a very positive experience I've also had extremely negative experiences on them which so that's why I don't think people should play with them unless they know what they're doing and they're with people that are there to support them
1: it can be very dangerous. People can have very frightening hallucinations as well—not oh, not getting out of the body, but having hallucinations, frightening, yeah. no after effects, positive after effects at all, no transformation. Mm-hmm. So you need the right dose, the right circumstances, the right people who are with you, the right music, etc. Exactly. But it can be very dangerous as well.
0: Yeah, and then and then the last kind of thing, the piece of the puzzle for myself was. Um, doing ayahuasca and it didn't work i was with people they went on these adventures or had these visions or whatever and uh for me i didn't nothing happened to me it was in in my system i we were drinking it i noticed that um it needs to be injected or to be inhaled to be the most powerful but it absorbs really rapidly uh or is that the difference between ayahuasca and dmt is it It's the same thing.
1: The DMT has a, 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 it's about 10 seconds, 20 seconds, it disappears. But but, then Ayahuasca does another stuff in it, which makes uh, D material triptymeter active for about 50 minutes. Five zero fifty. 50? Yeah, 15 minutes. Oh, 15 minutes. So it declines less fast. So it has more effect as well. Yeah. Uh, and depending again about the doses, about the circumstances, about people are helping you, etc. So uh, it can have the same effect. But usually I t- tell people that the effect of psychedelics is not the same as a having a near death experience. Mm-hmm. But it can happen. And for me, the main thing is that when there is transformation, when there are the classical elements of a death experience, then they have been out of the body and have been in a non-local reality, And but it has that, changed their lives.
0: It does seem like these, the near-death experiences mostly are very positive experiences for people. Sometimes they have a it, level of it, bliss that makes it hard for them to kind of reacclimate with their life or with their partner. But generally it, speaking,
1: you've the seen... Content, oh, the content is positive.
0: Oh, oh, the content is positive, right.
1: But it is a, what I will call it, a spiritual trauma because they cannot share it with others. Nobody will believe them. It's total nonsense. It's a hallucination. It's a side effect of drugs. Please be silent. Don't talk about it anymore, etc. So doctors don't believe them. Nurses don't believe them. Family members don't believe them. The partner says, you're not the same. So there's a divorce rate of 70%. And if you're lonely, they feel depressed, they have hope sickness, but which can take 10, 20 years before they can accept it until they find someone that they can share their experience and then they can start to accept it. And when they can accept the experience, they can integrate it. And integration means that they can change the way they live, that they accept that they are connected with everybody else. And uh, it's how important, how you treat others is so important. You get everything back what you did to other people, love as well as bad things. So you change the way you live. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. and uh, The external factors are not important anymore. Let's say, when um, you know there's a continuity of consciousness, then you will not give all your energy towards making money or having a, a beautiful body all the surgery or buying a lot of expensive cars, etc. It's about how you treat others, the way you, you, you eat biological food, mm-hmm. how we treat nature, etc. The environment is so important. So yeah. it changed the way they live.
0: So, from you interviewing all of these people, has it changed the way you live?
1: Oh, yes, I think so. It took quite a long time before I could accept that consciousness is not a product of brain function
0: that consciousness is what
1: not a product of brain function right so, yeah. so that, that took me quite a long time because we had learned that consciousness is a product of brain function so it could you, be you
0: completely agree that they're i mean not agree you believe that those are because in there i uh the brain enables the experience of consciousness but they are you believe they're separate things
1: Yes, I think the brain has a facilitating function and not a producing function for 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 experiences consciousness. I, I think the brain and the body is a kind of transceiver or interface. And to to explain to other people, I say I always like to compare the local consciousness with the with the iCloud. There are one billion YouTube films and one billion websites, always now, also now at this very moment goes through you and through the room where you are. Everywhere in the world, they are there. But you need a functioning instrument to receive a part of this iCloud that mm-hmm. your laptop does not produce the websites, does not produce the YouTube clips, but it, re- it receives. So the same for the brain and the body. It receives parts of this non-oper consciousness as your are waiting It is a part of your memories you receive in your waking consciousness. There are far more memories in this non-local reality. Everything of that, have, the past and the future is available.
0: So, you did, so then this kind of creates a situation where if you don't feel like the consciousness is part of that your specific brain, like Pim's brain is just a receiver for Pim's perspective of consciousness, but then That's- is it really even your perspective or is it a whole Like there's all of this consciousness and for whatever reason you're pulled in and viewing from the perspective that you are and I'm pulling from the perspective of mine and it's all one thing or do you feel like they're individual consciousnesses?
1: Well, when you're in your body, then you have your ego, your waking consciousness, which is quite personal. But in this higher realm of non-local consciousness, you connect with everything and with everybody but you still have your personal aspects as well which is not the ego but i call it the self with capital this is a higher higher light being as well um, so what we experience in daily life is just, just a small aspect aspect of this non-local consciousness. and uh, when you die it's just the end of our physical aspects it's just the end of our ego but not the the end of our consciousness so there's a continuous consciousness
0: so are you afraid to die
1: no not anymore I'm I'm curious I think people with an AD had 100% insight I have perhaps 98% insight so I'm curious Uh, but I know now for sure that death is not the end of I am. it's not the end of our, my consciousness. Mm-hmm.
0: So and through these experiences, that's where you you've you've evolved to that per, Yes. That view, yeah.
1: I always say the people that the death experience were my teachers. I learned everything from them. Mm-hmm.
0: But it's but you're by no means wanting to rush into death. You're curious about it, but you're not trying to accelerate it.
1: Well, say the the death experience is a life inside experience. It's all about life. Uh, so, and, and what I always quote is the idea about death, define how we live our lives, where you know that death is not yet, you will have a different kind of life as well. But it's all about life. It's mm-hmm. all about death.
0: Yeah, Even with all my experiences, I do not want to die.
1: Oh. Uh, I want to know. try
0: to drag this out a little bit longer than than normal but yeah
1: it's so many important things you can learn during your life and how you can help other people and how you can help planet earth etc so it's important to be here now consciously change the world and change your consciousness as well
0: and what do you think the value of that is if we're just in this pool of consciousness we're getting into these individual bodies and we're experiencing and we're learning and we're trying to do good things what is the value of any of that if you know on a long enough time frame to consciousness time doesn't matter right why why even do anything good or important day to day how do you like how do you reconcile those
1: everything what you're doing now is kept so we have an near death experience not only each deed is kept, but also each word is kept, and each thought you ever had is kept. Mm-hmm. Everything is eternal, what you've done, what you've said, or what you've thought. So everything is kept. So the way you live, the way you the think, the way you think, your belief systems change also the non-local realm as well.
0: So then, it, so what are your thoughts on good and evil and Heaven and hell. It seems like the experiences of heaven are you have a very positive experience. But so do you believe that, like, for example, if you do a lot of evil things or destructive things, you know, while in your body, then does that put you in a very negative death experience? And you're in that experience for a long time or and you're in that kind of channel, like a dark channel. What do you what do you think about that kind of stuff?
1: I think that everybody will be received with a lot of love. Regardless
0: of how they act.
1: But you have hard work to do there if you have lived in a wrong way. I, I don't know if you know Divine Comedy from, uh, uh, from Dante. Right. What he describes is an extensive thing. That is what people have done when they're staying in hell. It's the same thing that people can tell us. That have been frightening experiences as well. So the way with greed, sexual abuse, murder, etc. You have to work this through before you can continue to be lighter, uh, more light in the other in the other realms as well.
0: Yeah, that kind of made sense. Where it's there's no necessary like heaven or hell. There's this blissful connectedness, this openness, yeah. but maybe depending on your behavior while you're alive, there's some reconciliation that has to happen. Yeah. And, and that could be a dark and painful thing to kind of process oh, yeah. and unwind that. But then you go to the place.
1: I always say people like Hitler or Putin will have a very hard time um, before they can, can continue into the light. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You think Hitler's still processing
1: or? Oh, there's yeah. no time out there. So for earthy time, he will be there, still there. But there, there's no time experience because time is an experience. The linear time is here on the physical, physical uh, world. But there's no time there, the, no local realm. There's, you cannot say how long. But for us, it will take a long time. I think.
0: Right, right. So uh, right now, um, I, the thing I keep thinking about is, so there's no group or anyone trying to induce these experiences, like actively create them on people because they seem for the most part to have positive experiences. Is there any research or anyone trying to, maybe not do it recreationally, but at least like research-wise, trying to induce some of this to see if they can recreate it?
1: Not as far as I know, and I should never recommend it as well. Right. So, yeah. Like the film Flatliners, it's just, Hollywood, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. I'm <laughs> in, I'm in Los Angeles, so I gotta, I have yeah, to go I have yeah, to deal with Hollywood.
1: Hollywood, flatline is, is not, uh, yeah, reality
0: I know, seems possible actually. The more I think about it, all right. So, and then, um, and then your thoughts on artificial intelligence? May, you know, we'll have very advanced AGI, but you don't think consciousness can ever be created yeah. from machines? Okay, gotcha. It has been
1: a um, very, very level. Nobel Prize winners as well. It's by definition of possible to have emotions, to have subjective feelings, that's what in a machine, it's not possible.
0: And then where do you, and then then you try to compare, okay, there's the human experience, the human consciousness, then how do you see uh, like animals and bugs and trees and plants? Where are they on in this?
1: Oh yes, let's say for me now, Consciousness is fundamental in the universe, like energy and information. And everything comes from consciousness and energy and information. So the universe comes from uh, consciousness. Our body, our human life comes from consciousness. Plants have also subjectivity, animals have consciousness perhaps more group conscious than, than individual conscious. But when you have a cat or a dog, you know they are individuals as well. So dogs and plants and planet Earth all have a kind of subjectivity. You cannot compare it with the human consciousness. But everything is produced of comes from consciousness as well. So that's the fundamental aspect of the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And then do you believe that there would be other beings on other planets with a higher level of consciousness I don't know it's probably
1: yeah. speculation could be yeah, that yeah. I
0: don't do you ever think about it or not
1: no I'm not interested I think there's so much to do and to think about our human consciousness here on earth and how we can change the planet how we can change the future for yeah. our children and grandchildren so we have to do the work up here
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no I totally understand and then it seems like there's more since maybe like the late 70s, early 80s, there's more of a community that's starting to acknowledge this and look into this. If people have these experiences, is there a group that they should go to? Because it seems like a lot of people, even you know, as I'm trying to process some of maybe my experience, I don't know that I had a near-death experience, but for people that are 100% like, yes, I had that experience and I don't have anyone to talk to, who should they go to to try to connect with
1: people. Uh, it's IANS, the International Association of Near-Death Studies, which is very available, IANS, International Association of Near-Death Studies in the US, they have a local, also in the Netherlands and Belgium and Germany and whatever. So they have they have a, a website, IANS, they have two, three times, two times a week they have uh, a, a year, they have symposia
0: okay and, and that that just helps create the community and support if people
1: need it, it and and you may you may have someone who can listen without and without comments uh, that it will help you to accept and usually when they had the death experience they don't know what happened to them until they see a film or read a book they mm-hmm. say oh well, it has a name and i'm not the only one i'm not crazy and then they just start talking to other people and find someone and then it helps them enormously. Are and there
0: tests? Is, yeah, I'm sorry.
1: No, that's all right. So reading a book. Uh, I know people will give my book to the doctor or physician to the father said, well, read this. And then you understand said, what happened to me? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, you mentioned a little bit, and uh, I didn't know if maybe this group is doing it, but are there any black and white tests that have been designed to validate these experiences people are saying that they have? Like, are there actual changes that you can see in the brain that would only be associated with the near-death experience that other people who have not had the experiences would have? Yeah,
1: that's still people with neuroscientists are hoping this. But the problem is that our current science is materialist science. That means everything what you can objectify, what you can measure. What you can duplicate, what you can falsify, this is real. Yeah. Now the problem with consciousness, what you feel and what you think, you cannot objectify, you cannot measure, you cannot duplicate, you cannot falsify. Now what you think, what you feel, the essence of who you are, your consciousness, is beyond our current material science. So what we're doing now is to extend science into the post-material science, which includes subjective experiences, and that's happening the last. 10 15 years in right. studies as well. But what you can measure in the brain it is this neural correlates, but not the content of consciousness. You can see some activity in the brain when you think or whatever you do, but it doesn't say anything about the content of what you think or what you feel. So, what we did in our study, we had a prospective study about the cause and the content about AMD, but it's still subjective experiences. People tell you stories. And then we had the longitudinal studies with taped interviews after two years and eight years with a matched control group of patients with the same age and time interval and, uh, and gender who had a cardiac arrest without a near-death experience. And I compare them with the transformation and we saw statistical significant changes and the people with an ND compared with people who had a cardiac arrest without an ND. And the three main things are no fear of death anymore. They believe in a personal afterlife. Uh, they have no insight what's important in life, which is unconditional love and compassion and empathy, first towards yourself, accept your all negative aspects we all have, and then have empathy compassion towards others as well. And the third aspect is the enhance intuitive sensitivity. So we could, it was always still, they always studied down in the prospective design about transformation after the identities and what we can prove. This is objective proof of the subjective experience because the transformation, you can prove objective by all the questions list you ask them. Right. So we, yeah. we could see the difference between people with and without an MD, because of the change, the difference in transformation.
0: So you that can measure that, it in the brain. Yeah, yeah. So the, the closest we can get to measuring whether or not it happened is by objectively um, looking at the, their subjective, yes. their, the, the way that they see things or how they're interacting now from, yeah. and how it's different from when they had that experience.
1: So the, the, what we can do is to scientific method to do this kind of studies, but you cannot prove them. Subjectional experience is beyond proof, beyond measurement. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's why the science is changing now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, well, I'm gonna, uh, do you you have a lot of books in there that you recommend? Is there one one book? Is it the first book you recommend that would uh, help people dive into this more? Is that Return From Tomorrow?
1: Yes, that's a wonderful. You can read it there one evening. It's a wonderful, important book. And and, and you see all the aspects of an death of and a transformation as well.
0: And are you working on any new books? I know that this book didn't just come out yesterday, but do you have other projects or books that you're working on?
1: No, but my book has been translated into many, many languages. So uh, uh, German, French, uh, so English, uh, Italian, uh, Spanish, Polish.
0: Did you originally exactly. write it in English? Russian,
1: Russian, Chinese, etc.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations.
1: And so it, it, it's about about 350 or 400 thousand copies have been sold, and and the Netherlands is now the 27th print. Mm-hmm. So more than 150 thousand copies have been sold in the Netherlands. I've been a lot many times on television, radio uh, interviews, whatever. Yeah. So that helps people to change their insight, and that helped people who had but also other kinds of experience, like say, after death communication, they are in contact with deceased relatives. People don't want to talk about it. Usually it's during the night, they call it a dream. With about 125 million people, you must have had an after death communication. And it changes your insight in life and death because when you have communication with the consciousness of deceased relative, it means consciousness is still there. Mm-hmm. And you can have contact and you can change it exchange information as well. Um, and other experiences like um, end-of-life experiences, people are dying in terminal phase of illness, you can go to the other dimension as well and tell about deceased relatives or whatever. Uh, so there are many experiences of special states of consciousness, shared death experiences where you are at the bedside of someone who is dying and who you are very much the moment this person dies, sometimes takes you with him or her. Then you go through a tunnel to the light and can have sometimes see the light reveal of the person. Then at once you're back on the back, on the bedside. You're talking, it's, it's nothing to do with anoxia or whatever. Uh, or terminal lucidity. People are have Alzheimer for years don't recognize the family members anymore or are even or in coma. Then at once, you become conscious, sit right up in bed, see the children, call them by name, thank them, and die, which is quite important because the brain of such patient totally left. Nothing is left. But they still can be conscious as well. So that all these kinds of experiences support the idea that consciousness cannot be a product of brain function. It has always been there. It will always be there. No beginning, no end. And you need to functioning brain to experience this in your body. Mm-hmm. But when your brain doesn't function like the cardiac arrest, it can get out of your body and be almost more local reality. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the dream state is a little confusing.
1: Well, dream state is also uh, the different kind of dreams. Let's say we have premonition prognostic dreams. Now you are with your conscience in the non local realm because you can see future events. And I lake is a, a kind of deja vu. Oh, I've, I've been, I've, been in, I've seen this before. That means you, you, your consciousness was there in the future. And you can have to you believe, you believe that. that. Hmm? You believe that. Oh, yes, I believe it. And you had dreams mm-hmm. as well. And so uh, people can dream about uh, a marriage, you can dream about a funeral you uh, can dream about different house somewhere and then they'll come to a house in france that's what i saw in my dream 20 years ago uh-huh. and then the lucid dreams so you can change the subject of your dream consciously which is what you call a lucid dream so the different kind of dreams as well usually people forget their dreams but you have when you're during sleep have conscious, uh, Contact with the conscious of disease relatives, what you call an after death communication. You will never forget. It. And when you sleep, the, the threshold to receive information from outside is lower. So it's possible for people to contact when they, when they have died.
0: Have you have you uh, seen only because you brought up movies? Inception. Huh? Have you seen the movie Inception? No. Oh, you should, yeah. All right, I don't know if you should see it or not, but um <laughs> it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's talking about Dream states and kind of going into people's dreams, and because you brought up flatliners, which I remember.
1: But well, the, the thing, what we call it enhanced intuition, that you have as well, is that your reception ability has changed permanently. So you don't receive channel one, your own consciousness, but channel two, three, four, or five of other people as well. And that's why you can see that you're ill, whether they're happy, whether unhappy, whether the body dies. Or they will die in three, week, in three weeks or three months and it re- really happens so we are, are able to connect with the consciousness of other people as well and also mm-hmm. protect with the non-local realm of the other people as well mm-hmm.
0: so are there so other than trying to induce these experiences which people aren't doing and you don't recommend uh, for obvious reasons yeah even though death is not to be feared in your opinion um is there any way you feel people can to open up their consciousness more get to these experiences other than psychedelics or meditation maybe is there are there practices
1: i think you're a meditation when you do meditation it is possible to have this kind of experience during meditation Uh, but you can also have this kind of experience in depression existential crisis isolation glenn and miller mitchell had it as astronauts Lindbergh had it when they flew over the ocean so, when you're lost in desert, shipwrecks, people can have the NDs as well. Right. The fear death experience, where you have an accident or traffic accident, where you see the car coming to you, then you can get out of your body. So, it's not anoxia at all. But you can have these kind of experiences. But to induce them is the only thing, perhaps meditation. But where you're open, uh, read books about the death experience talk to people who have a near that experience be mm-hmm. open ask things without any prejudice you will change yeah. you will change
0: yeah okay cool well that pretty much uh sums up a lot of my questions right. i really i really appreciate it you have any other thoughts or anything you would want to cover i feel like we covered a lot
1: i think what happened to you when reading my book it happens so often it does yes because when you read my book and then the. People start realizing that they recognize a lot of the aspects I described. And then they start thinking, what happened to me as well? And it consciousness will change your life as well because you're more aware of the non-local aspects of your consciousness, more, more aware of this and as capacity you will have. I'm sure you have. So I and you were trying to find it back in your ketamine or awashka, but you don't need it. Mm -hmm. you don't have to try it you have it already Mm
0: -hmm. i'm not chasing (laughs) it yeah yeah i know that was a long time ago but
1: yeah Yeah,
0: Yeah. well i really appreciate it thank you so much
1: you're welcome
0: yeah thank you for uh your time tim such an interesting topic i'm gonna you all the book i gotta
1: uh deep dive more okay all right thank you you're welcome bye